HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a senior producer at the Feed Feed. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Nicole Modic, who is a food blogger, recipe developer, former lawyer, boy mama, and brand new cookbook author. You may recognize Nicole from her blog and social media presence as Kale Junkie. Kale Junkie is a blog where you find the very best healthy food on the web. Thank you so much for being here, Nicole. I'm so excited and congratulations on the new cookbook. Thank you so much, Alexa, and thank you for having me. Excited of to be part course. of the Feed Feed community. Yes. So you've been do you you've been kind of an OG food blogger for a while now, is that right? Yeah, I started my Instagram account as a hobby about seven and a half years ago. All right. Yeah, you've been you've been doing this thing. And you used to be a lawyer. <laughs> I I did, and I hated every moment of it. And my passion was in the food world, but you know, I for readers that don't know, I suffered from a 15-year eating disorder um, and that nobody knew about. And I desperately wanted help and to get and to find food freedom, but I felt really trapped. And uh, you know, it wasn't until much later that I was able to to turn up um, an unhealthy relationship with food into a positive one and find healing. And here I am, a food blogger today. <laughs> My goodness. Well, I actually did not know that about you. So thank you for yeah. sharing. I'm yeah, sure. I'm catching up. I'm like, I missed a few chapters. Here. I know, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of have a similar story. And like, I was a TV news reporter and I hated it so much. And my passion was in food. So I totally get where you're coming from, where you kind of have this formal path that you were on yeah. that you thought was the right thing. And, you know, I called it kind of my quarter life crisis when I decided like, wait a second, I really hate this. So how do I leverage those skills into something that I actually like? And it sounds like that's a lot of what you've been doing the last seven and a half years, huh? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember sitting in therapy thinking like, oh my gosh, I could never, how, what am I going to do? All I, I mean, I have this law degree and, but my passion was in something totally different. And, you know, I could, I could not see, like, if you had told me that in five years or seven years, I would be here, there's no way I would have believed you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, you did it. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Um, yeah, so. it's very exciting. And you've been a role model, obviously, for me and then a, a ton of people who, you know, are passionate about the same things. So appreciate you big time. Thank you. <laughs> and so <laughs> let's take it back to the very, very beginning. When, yep. where did you grow up? I know you're Armenian. So tell me about, I guess, your background and kind of your very, very early memories of food. Yeah. So Armenians in general. So I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, there's a big Armenian community um, in LA and food was always a central part of our family life. Like Armenians celebrate food in a very big way. We all come together at the table. There is like 50 appetizers, 50 entrees. It's like this, um, a way for us to connect is, and bond is really over food. Um, and you know, my mom was a great cook. My grandma was a great cook. I took a lot of notes from them and, um, you know, but sadly growing up in LA, it was really challenging for me. I, it's a very, you know, I learned very early on that it was a, you know, very body conscious city mm-hmm. and I had gained weight. I went to an Armenian school. My parents sent me to an Armenian school one year and there was a lot of bullying happening and I was, you know, I would sit in the cafeteria by myself every day and I very slow, you know, over time I started gaining weight and my mom had said to me, Nicole, you know, we could go to, we could go to Weight Watchers. And that was the very first time, um, that, you know, I learned that I could manipulate the way that my body looked by restricting food. And again, like in our culture, our Armenian culture, um, there's always this, um, there's a lot of emphasis on outward appearance. So my mom herself was always dieting growing up and on a cabbage soup diet or a rice diet or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So while we are a culture that like loves food and, um, celebrates food, it's also a very, uh, body conscious culture where you, everybody, everything needs to look perfect from the outside. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how it started and that's where I grew up. Wow. Okay. I did not know. I mean, I know there's a large Armenian population in LA, but I, mm-hmm. it is kind of interesting to hear you describe what we all sort of, you know, LA's bad reputation about being very like outward facing with appearance and body image and stuff. But sure. I didn't really know that Armenian culture was very, had a lot of emphasis on that too. So I'm sure that was like super tough yeah. growing up, especially yeah. back when, you know, like, 15 years ago when it was all about like slim fast and all these like weird diet hacks and like strange diet culture of the early 2000s. I'm sure that was odd Mm -hmm. to go through. (laughs) Yeah. And also like, you know, we're also, um, you know, a culture that was persecuted, like we're survivors of the Armenian genocide. So like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my dad came to this country with nothing and he put a lot of pressure on me to like succeed academically. So there was this pressure because he didn't have all of these opportunities. And when he came to this country, it was all about working hard. He wanted to give us the education to succeed in life. And for his definition of success was, you have to be a doctor or you have to be a lawyer. And there was no room for like 
um, anything outside of that box. So like if you would have told me years ago that, you know, I would be doing this, you know, it, it would be unheard of. And so I felt a lot of pressure to, um, to succeed and to be a lawyer. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what did you grow up eating? Like what were some of your favorite foods where was it your mom's side or your dad's side that was yeah. really kind of getting you into Armenian food more or how, how did that like, I guess, go for you as a young Armenian gal in LA. Yeah. So, um, my dad worked really late nights. So my mom was always in the kitchen. She would make, um, you know, these dolmas that I put in my cookbook, which are inspired by my mom. And also my grandma was just such a fantastic, um, you know, she just all the comfort foods, like a lot of like different soups that are hearty and warming, um, I grew up eating a lot of that. And then on busy nights, my mom would just make regular, you know, chicken and broccoli and things like that. But I would always look forward to the mm -hmm. nights when she would prepare like really special Armenian cuisine that just made me feel close to my family. Oh, I love that. So what was your, yeah. what was your favorite when you were growing up? So there is a dish called Monty, which is th – there are these like little boats – and they're made with um, fresh dough, but if you um, nowadays, I make them using store bought wonton skins, mm -hmm. and you fill them with like little balls of meat, and you like form them into boats, and then you make it. Um, it's served in a typical um, like a tomato soup. So these little dumplings are in this soup, and we um, put yogurt in there and mint, and it is just so freaking delicious. I'm shocked I haven't tried those yet. Monty. Those sound really, really good. <laughs> I usually make it around the Monty, like. I usually make it absolutely delicious. Yeah, I make it at Christmas time. Maybe you'll see it on my feed this year. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, that, that's you know, it's always about more content ideas. So throw that, throw that into the uh, the Rolodex. Why don't exactly, you? <laughs> exactly. I add it to my never ending list. Yes. So were you learning how to cook from a young age, or I guess where did you start picking up? I guess your culinary uh, prowess. Yeah. So it was actually, um, so as I mentioned, like having the eating disorder that nobody knew about, um, you know, I feared foods for a really long time. Like I, uh, you know, had a really troubled relationship with food. So there was no cooking whatsoever. Instead, it was just, you know, buying store-bought things that fit within, um, you know, a calorie controlled diet. And then one day I got tired of living that way and restricting. And after my husband had caught me in the middle of a binge, um, that was the catalyst that, um, made me get help for this. And, um, it wasn't until after I had my first son. So seven and a half. So yeah, almost eight years ago, um, I was home on maternity leave, healing my relationship with food and, I had nothing to do because I was on maternity leave. I was, you know, from my law job and the baby was sleeping all the time. And I would just get into the kitchen and kind of make healthier, or I should say more nutritious versions of the foods that I previously wouldn't allow myself to eat. So I started playing with ingredients. Like I started getting, buying almond flour for the first time and oat mm -hmm. flour and um, different nuts and different seeds and kind of 
teaching myself ingredient combining. And it was kind of like my little therapy in the kitchen of coming up with little healthier treats and things that I just wouldn't allow myself to eat and then really paying attention to how food made me feel. So whereas before I was restricting and not allowing myself to eat cookies and cakes and donuts and ice cream and all that all of those things, but making them with more nutritious ingredients, I was able to eat those things and still feel good physically, mentally, emotionally. And that's how the hobby started. And it just became an obsession from there, a healthy obsession of spending as much time as possible in the kitchen, um, experimenting and playing around with different flavors. Yeah. So I know we mentioned earlier that you're a boy mama. So did having the kids kind of then influence a lot of your recipe developing at that point? Yeah, because, you know, my recipes, as you know, are like, are very, they're easy. They, Mm -hmm. I strive to make everything accessible, um, for other working parents, because I, I know that myself at the end of the day, um, kids are really picky. Uh, they, really just want pizza and mac and cheese, or maybe that's just my kids, um, all the time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean like, so I'm always trying to find creative ways to sneak in veggies and to introduce them to other things. So it's kind of fun for me. So I'll sneak in, um, you know, I have like a, um, green pancakes, for example, on my blog, which are so fun because the boys think they're like, they love eating something green, but I put spinach in there. Or when I'm making mac and cheese, I'm able to sneak in a, but like blend up some butternut squash or hide that in there because they can't see it with it, with the cheese. But my goal with, um, kale junkie and my brand and my book is really just, I want people to, to realize that like, healthy eating doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be complicated. And a lot of times it doesn't have to be expensive if you shop right. Very cool. And I feel like that's definitely what the people want and need. And I feel like you're definitely scratching an itch of what, you know, kind of not even all parents, but, you know, just young people, millennials, old people, anybody who, you know, is interested in getting in the kitchen and trying to find a way to eat more kind of holistically without making drastic changes and without having to make anything too complicated or spend too much money. So I feel like it's definitely a sweet spot that people for sure want and need. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I hope so. I mean, I think like, you know, a lot of times people make, I think one of my most popular recipes is um, my life-changing tahini chocolate chip cookies. And Mm. I created that recipe, I think back in 2018. And um, to this day, it still is my most popular recipe. And it, I think it touches my heart because a lot of people that have food allergies, sensitivities, or, um, you know, all these restrictions, intolerances can't like have been able to eat this particular recipe. And it just brings me so much joy. Cause I'm like, wow, it's just a simple recipe, but it can bring so much joy to somebody's life that, um, previously couldn't enjoy something like that. And that's, you know, for me, that makes it all like, that's why I love my job is just like enriching somebody's life through something so simple. Like maybe it's a cookie or maybe it's a dinner recipe that they created fantastic memories around the table with their friends. So that's for me, that's what it's all about. Like that joy, um, of touching someone's life in a small way. Yeah. That's so wholesome of you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Incredibly wholesome, yeah. very pure. 
Well, I mean, you know, you know how it is. Like there are hard days, like, you know, whether that's in the kitchen or on social media or just in everyday life. So what I always try to remember my why on the hard days that keeps me going for, you know, this many years doing the same thing is, is trying to remember that if you, if you connect and touch one person and make their life better, then it's a job well done. Yes. Well, you know, that certainly helps to hear for, you know, myself and anybody who's in the same boat in whatever it is that you're doing to kind of like, you know, peel back the layers and dial it back to like what, why you're doing this in the first place and what, you know, what it's all about. Cause it's definitely very easy to get caught up in like the craziness of all kinds of things of how everything's going, how things are performing badly. If you yeah. mess something up, if you have a bad day. So, um, very, very thoughtful advice across the board. Appreciate thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at this. You're good at this. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So is another part of your goals with your blog and your cookbook and, you know, everything you have going on to, I know you also share some Armenian recipes and that's, Mm -hmm. you know, a a situation that's very close to your heart. Is that a big part of what it is that you want to do as well to kind of shine a light on your culture? Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning when I was healing my relationship with food, I kind of uh, moved away from my own uh, like Armenian recipes for no other reason other than I was having so much fun, like eating cookies and cake again. Yeah. Um, but, but now, um, you know, as time has gone on, my boys are starting to become more curious about our culture. So, you know, the last couple of months I've been back in the kitchen, digging up some of my grandma's recipes and kind of putting, um, you know, healthier spins on them because, you know, back in those days, like, you know, a lot of the ingredients just weren't nutritious. And for me, like, I just want to feel good for feeling good in my, in my body is really important to me. And I want my kids to, um, to have all of the cultural things, but just have them be made with higher quality ingredients. Interesting. And what is, do they have a favorite of things that you make? Yes. So there is, um, an Armenian recipe or a dish called Lahmajun, and it is um, Armenian pizza. 
and mm. it's, there's no cheese. It's like a little, um, they're like little flatbreads or rolled out dough. And on top is like minced meat with like spices and it gets nice and crispy in the oven and you can roll it up. Like oh, since it's so nice and thin, you can roll it up like, like a cigar or you can like, you know, cut it into pizza slices or whatnot, but it is so delicious. So they get really excited for Armenian pizza or Lahmacun as, as it's called. Well, that sounds very exciting. Who yes, can, you need it too. You would love it. You would love it. Oh my gosh, I've never, <laughs> I've never heard of any of this. I feel like I thought I had a somewhat decent. I guess you know a lot of the Armenian restaurants in LA are very like kebab forward. Yeah. So I haven't tried a lot of this stuff that you're mentioning, and now I very much want to. So <laughs> it's also interesting. Like there are very few dishes that are actually um, true Armenian dishes. They are all. Um, like when I think about it, a lot of them are like Lebanese inspired, Turkish mm-hmm. inspired. Um, like when we go to what we think is an Armenian restaurant, there are a lot of like, there's tabule, for example, but tabule is actually like originated in Lebanon, but Armenians eat it too. So like it's, a, there's a very few, there are very few dishes I should say that are actually like originated like Armenian, Armenian dishes. They're all kind of like influenced by the Middle Eastern culture. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Now I get it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So how long ago was it that you left your law background to pursue food? Mm -hmm. So I was doing, so Kale Junkie was my side hustle for a good three years or so. um, Because it was just, uh, like I said, I started it not with the goal of it being a business. I started it with the goal of just, you know, healing my own relationship with food and sharing the little creations that I came up with, with whoever was, um, whoever would listen essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, as my account started growing, it started growing when I started sharing um, my struggles, my past struggles with food and really connecting with other women, especially that either had had a similar past, were struggling and looking for resources and connection. Um, and so as my account grow, grew, I remember connecting with another influencer and she was like, you know, this could be your business. And I didn't, I, I did not um, make that connection or know how I could make Instagram my job. Like I, it was just such a foreign concept to me. Right. And so, but slowly over time, I just kind of, um, you know, reached out to brands and started getting partnerships and it was like not much at first, but it was so fun for me that I could have my law job and do this on the side. And then it got to the point where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy and I'm so in love with creating content and creating recipes. I can't do this law thing anymore. And I remember coming home and telling my husband, I was like, Greg, I'm going to quit tomorrow. And he was like, Oh my my God, I know. Well, actually I should say, I should preface that by saying I wanted to, um, I had a goal of making almost as much money as I was in my law job. And once I kind of achieved that goal, I think I would have, I felt comfortable um, making a decision to leave law and to do this. And so, you know, when I approached Greg and told him, he's obviously more, he was more conservative than I am mm-hmm. um, in this, in the sense of taking risks. Cause he's like, Oh my God, Nicole, we, you know, you have a great job and a great career. How can this be um, a, a career? It was just unheard of at the time. And yeah. I told him to trust me. And I was like, look, I, um, 
I can, let me try it for a year. Let me see how it goes all in. And I have a, you know, a marketable skill set that I know if this doesn't work out or I don't love it anymore, that I can always go back and practice law. That will always be there for me. But if I don't take this chance, I'm never going to know. And I'm going to have a regret in life. Um, so that next day I left my law job and I, years later, like I just, I haven't looked back yet. Look at that. I guess sometimes that's what it comes down to is kind of that, that leap of faith that you, you know, maybe you're on the fence about doing something like that, but it is, it is always scary and it's always daunting to make a decision like that. But I mean, here you are as a success story of, you know, making a move like that and having it work out. So that's, uh, that's very inspiring to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think like it was less scary because I had, um, spent time saving money and trying to like make sure that I wasn't going to leave my family high and dry in case this grand idea of mine didn't pan out. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I never, you know, and it's so funny, I got invited to next week to my old law firm to do a talk on career transition and this really? new path that I found, which is just so funny to me. Cause I never would have thought in a million years I'd be, going to my old law firm to give a talk on how I changed my career from law into my passion. So yeah, everything comes around full circle. Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So is having this cookbook, I mean, I'm sure there's been a lot of highlights in this, you know, new career of yours, but is having this new cookbook kind of a big one? I know that, you know, in talking to other people who've written and put together cookbooks, how much work goes into it. So mm-hmm. what is this kind of accomplishment like for you? Yeah. So this, um, the idea of, you know, creating this cookbook came, um, during the pandemic, I had this idea. I really wanted to reach more people and not just with the recipes. So in the book, there are 75 recipes, but more than that, I really wanted to, to, um, share my personal story, how I healed, but also share how I eat now, which is intuitive eating by tapping into my body's cravings, desires, needs, no restricting, no diet labels, and giving people um, tips for how they can live a life of food freedom too and eating nourishing food. Um, So that was the start of like my cookbook proposal. And Um, yeah, it it has taken over two years of, you know, creating the recipes, testing them several times, writing, um, really vulnerable parts of my story and sharing that for the first time. I know my parents were a little bit, um, surprised to see me share some of the things that I did and Mm -hmm. they heard parts of my story for the first time, which, you know, I think was hard for them to read, but, um, it was a really amazing opportunity. It was like something that um, really, I don't want to say legitimized my career because I feel like I was had a legitimate career before, but um, has really been a, a, um, a labor of love and something that I poured my entire heart and soul in. Um, I, you know, creating recipes for me as a, as a mom of two was, I was doing all of that you know, after my boys went to sleep at night and trying to keep up with my day-to-day kale junkie account and posting every day and 
you know, turning myself inside out to do this and to bring this into the world. So for me, it was more like it's a personal accomplishment of hard work, dedication, and a testament to um, others that you can find a non-traditional career path and you can heal your relationship with food and you can love to eat and you can love the skin that you're in all at the same time. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. And I've heard a lot about that uh, intuitive eating and like that whole philosophy. And it's, I I think I get it, but how do you explain it to people who, you know, don't really understand, I guess, what that means and like how you put that, how you take that from theory to practice of what, you know, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. So, um, you know, because no foods are on off limits, all foods are on limits. I think sometimes when people think about intuitive eating, they think, oh my gosh, well, everything's a free for all then you must be eating cakes and cookies and brownies and all of, you know, bowls of pasta all day long and whatnot. And in reality, that's not what, what happens. So, you know, when I started this healing, healing my relationship with food, you know, knowing that all foods were on limits, sure. Like the first, like, you know, couple of weeks that was dabbling into like, I, all foods were on limits. So I was eating, um, cookies and cakes and pasta and all these things that I wouldn't, um, normally allow myself to eat. However, what, what you learn through that process is to pay attention to one, your hunger cues and how the food makes you feel. So for example, if I was eating, uh, you know, if I had five cookies or five, you know, five bowls of, you know, two bowls of pasta, let's say I'd realize, of course, I don't feel so great after. And what my body, what I, what I paid, what I started noticing was that, oh my gosh, I'm actually now craving a big salad the next day or later that night. And like, no, I don't want any more of that. You start kind of, your body starts telling you what to feed it. So you, I just, it just is not a sustainable thing. Like my body was telling me like, okay, you had, you, you had the cookie, you had the cake. Now you give yourself some, some greens. So everything kind of like balances out, everything has balanced out and it continues to. So like for, for me, I wake up in the morning and I think, um, what is, what do I feel like having for breakfast today? Is it a smoothie? Is it eggs? Do, am I in the mood for something savory or sweet and giving my, giving myself the freedom and flexibility to say, okay, I want a smoothie today. Um, instead of like forcing myself to follow a diet of some sort of diet that says, okay, in the morning you need to have eggs or you need to have avocado toast. It's giving yourself freedom and flexibility. And when you give yourself permission to eat, I think that you naturally start, um, or you don't really overeat. I don't really overeat anymore because all foods are on limits. And I know that I can have anything I want at any time. Interesting. Okay. So that definitely makes sense. And I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I've had many a night where, you know, it's, or a weekend where I go crazy and then like eat a bunch of candy and sweets. And then it's like Monday and I'm like, Jesus, I need like fruit and veggies so bad. And it's kind of like that feeling of when you overdo it, it's almost like, you know, as adults, when you give into that like child and you're like, Oh yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm an adult. I can eat whatever I want and like eat a bunch of snacks. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, that doesn't feel good. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not like, it's like removing the guilt from that. Like we all have like, especially around the holidays, we're coming up on the holidays. So we all like indulge, right. We all Mm -hmm. like, you know, have more, maybe more drinks than usual, or we go to parties and whatnot, but it's, it's not, it's like removing the guilt from that, but saying like, 
okay, like I don't feel good physically now because I drank too much or I, you know, had too many treats or whatnot. So let's balance it out, but not as a punishment, but because that's what's that that's what's going to nourish your body. Right. Yes. That makes sense. So if you, if someone who's listening to this that, you know, wants to start pursuing that type of eating and relationship with food, I guess what's like the most important tip or piece of advice that you give to people in that position? Um, I would say like to, to slow down and meaning like ask your, take an extra couple of seconds and really ask yourself, like, what is your body like craving in this moment? I think a lot of times you, we mistake hunger and cravings for things that might not be as nutritious when we're actually like dehydrated. So it sounds silly, but like, I always like to have a big glass of water or something. And I think, okay, like 10 minutes later, if I'm still craving that cookie, the cake or the brownie or the pasta or pizza or whatever it is, then of course I'm going to go have it. Um, take a few moments to like check in with your hunger levels, your hydration, um, and then pay it att- like eat what you want, but pay attention to how that food made you feel. Like, mm-hmm. do you feel lethargic after? Do you feel energetic? I know if I start my day with a protein packed smoothie, I feel great for my workout. I'm in a better mood. I'm sharp. I don't have fatigue. So being a little bit like, you know, doing internal check-ins with yourself, maybe that's documenting, maybe that's, you know, having a little journal where you like pause for a moment and like pay attention to the, to how food makes you feel. Interesting. So it's really, it's kind of a multifaceted process then, would you say? Yeah. And there's a, there's a really great book, um, called intuitive eating and it was, it's a, it's a paperback book. The authors, um, have two versions. That book changed my life and is really the foundation of where I started intuitive eating. So you can get that on Amazon and that's a really great place to start. And of course my book has a lot of practical tips for, um, you know, starting that embarking on that journey. Very, very cool. So yeah, I mean, you have so many amazing pieces of advice and wisdom and, you know, whether that be, you know, food or, you know, career, eating recipes, just so many cool things to hear from you. So I really appreciate you sharing that all. I definitely feel even more inspired by you than I was before. So an icon and a legend in our midst. (laughs) Thank you, but you are too. So, you know, it takes two of us. Oh boy. Yeah. Dream team. Was there anything else uh, important about like your journey and your, you know, career and everything you have going on in your cookbook that I haven't asked you yet? No, I think, you know, you, we've covered all the topics. I mean, I think, you know, I really just want, um, people to fall in love with food, to realize that healthy doesn't have to be hard, challenging, intimidating, and that, you know, you can love the skin that you're in, enjoy food, enjoy life. Food is connection. It is love. It is, it brings people together and just, yeah, enjoy. that's what it's all about I mean it's my definitely definitely my favorite part of the day so me too yeah in my personal opinion very important to make that part of the day enjoyable so it seems like on the same page there (laughs) yep 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 and I know that's what feed feed believes too like it's community it's love it's it's um you know brings people together 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of this. Of course. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Alexa. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook, author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.